Welcome to the Lucas Miles Show. It is I, your occasionally fearless host, Lucas Miles. You know, we've all heard of the King James Version of the Bible, perhaps even the New Living Translation, the English Standard Version, and of course, the NIV, the Amplified, and the Message Bible. And today I have with me Bible teacher, linguist, and former missionary, Dr. Brian Simmons, who will talk about the New Passion Translation of the Bible. Brian was the lead translator on the project, which is set to release tomorrow, October 31st, 2017, which is also the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And let me just say that I was a little bit nervous as I approached this project because I'm always somewhat cautious of new Bible translations, but in this case, I'm really glad that I took a look at it. I was really pleasantly surprised with what I found, and I had a wonderful conversation with Dr. Simmons. I love seeing his own passion for the Lord, for translating, and for really continuing with a spirit of excellence and accuracy as he approached the original language come through. I think you'll hear that in our talk, and for me personally, I'm excited to dig into the Passion Translation of the Bible and really see what it has to offer. So with that, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Brian Simmons. Dr. Simmons, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lucas. What a joy to be with you, bro. You know, we've had a lot of guests on, but uh, I think you're the first person who's translated the Bible that we've ever had on the show. So that is, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I would imagine and I understand that this is not the first time that you've translated the Bible with the Passion Translation. Yeah, that's right. We lived for um, a little over eight years in the headwaters of the Pucaro River on the border of Colombia and Panama. Total, total, like, survivor-like frontier. There's nothing out there, no electricity, no running water. You know, our listeners can feel sorry for me at any time. But uh, we roughed it for, like, eight years and we learned the tribal language. I was a linguist, so I helped develop the alphabet and finalize the uh, linguistic write-up, and then was a co-translator to the Payakuna New Testament. It took us about seven years to translate it. Wow, wow. You know, I had heard of uh, some other people's work in Papua New Guinea and had heard similar durations of time that was necessary in order to learn the language and then translate into, you know, full or at least a working New Testament for them. So that's remarkable. Yeah, God gave us grace. I mean, whatever we do for him, you know, if we raise the dead or clean the toilets, it takes the grace of God, whatever it is. <laughs> I know that to be true. So that is very, very accurate, I think. So, well, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show. I've had a chance to look at this a little bit. And for our readers, you have a new uh, translation of the Bible called the Passion Translation. And I'm going to maybe speak to the readers out there because whenever you hear there's new translations of the Bible, you know, especially guys that come from more orthodox and traditional backgrounds, they always want to know, okay, who did it? Who's responsible? What's their bent? What's their agenda? But you have some really significant names that have gotten behind this and endorsed this. I know I've had a chance to see a little bit of the translation and read some of the segments. I see on here John and Lisa Bevere, Bill Johnson, Graham Cook, and I know there's a lot of other names that have got behind this translation. I think I even heard that uh, Hillsong was using it in some capacity uh, as well. 
Yeah, so, that's right. That's pretty awesome. How did this come about? We understand when you go on as a missionary and the need for a Bible in their language, but we have a lot of Bible translations. What really brought this about in your life that caused you to be on this pursuit to put together this new English translation of the Bible? Yeah, you're so right. We have over 2,000 English translations that wow. I know of, and we're thankful for every one of them. They all bring life to us. They all have a nuance that we need. But as far as I'm concerned, or relating to me, I had a divine word, I'll just say it that way, that rose up in me in a very powerful way. 2009, I had just pastored a church for 18 years, handed it over to the next generation. And I was asking the Lord what he wanted me to do. I had this strange feeling surface in me to translate. And I'm thinking what you just said, like, God, there's so many translations. Why do we need another one? And so I was asking the Lord as I went to bed that night, would you just show me? And I had an amazing night. I'll just put it that way. And the Lord made it clear to me that he wanted me to do this translation. He promised he would help me. He promised that there would be opposition. He promised that he would give me insights. And he has. He has helped me thus far. I've been so faithful. So the past eight years, I've been involved about six hours every day when I'm able to translate from Greek and Hebrew, even Aramaic texts, and bring it into this dynamic equivalent translation that is impacting lives I love getting the emails, testimonies from people that have basically said the same thing. I gave up reading my Bible. It made no sense to me until I picked up the Passion Translation. I started to read it. My heart caught on fire and inside something rang a bell. It was God's speaking to me. And yeah, we were getting testimonies of people coming to Christ, getting revived, coming back to following Jesus faithfully, pastors using it, people weeping as they read. It's just amazing to have a Bible translation that touches the heart. You know, that's what we need. We need a heart level, something Mm. that strikes the heart of this generation. I mean, do we really need another scholarly word-for-word translation when we've got lexicons, we've got all of our wonderful software programs and tools to help us dig into Greek and Hebrew. So I really feel it's God's passion to show us his heart. So that's been the motivation behind this project. That's really awesome. Let's break this down a little bit for people who might be listening, because I mean, I've pastored for almost 20 years myself. I started preaching at 17 and I'd get questions all the time about, okay, well, how do you know that this is true and how is the Bible compiled? And I have to think, although, you know, I have my answers for that, your level of scholarship has provided probably an interesting look to the integrity of Scripture. So can you speak to that at all for maybe somebody who is new to this or questions the text or the translation in general of the Bible? Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. I'd love to. I have loved the Bible for 46 years. I memorized half of the New Testament the first three years I was a believer. I have been a total word guy. And now to get to translate it the second time from manuscripts that most of our listeners don't have the opportunity to look at and to see the vibrancy, the power, the poetic nuance, the flavor, the substance, the accuracy, the impact 
of the Word of God. It's changed me. Even my wife will say it. It has changed me and made me into a different man. So I believe that the original, they're called autographs. The original autographs or manuscripts, they are divinely inspired by God. The breath of God that blew into Adam's nostrils blew into the Word of God, and it is God-inspired. It doesn't contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. And we can take it to the bank. We can trust what we read in the Bible, no matter what translation. You can believe that God is speaking through His Word. He became flesh. The Word Himself became flesh with the Lord Jesus Christ to confirm his great love and his passion for us. So if there's any book we have in English that you can believe and be inspired from, it is the Word of God, the Bible. And I'm so grateful to be a part of this project. Now that's really incredible. And as I find with a lot of people that I talk to, the more people study this book, the more it continues to validate itself, to give evidence of the authenticity and the life and the reality behind the words that are there. And as you mentioned, there's no other book like it. And I think that's so powerful. And so I think that it's a really noble task. So kudos to you for taking, and I mean just taking the time, sacrificing this portion of your life for the purpose of getting out this word to inspire other people. So I think that's incredible. Talk to us a little bit about what sort of process does one go through in translating the Bible as you try to attempt to stay true to the intention and really stay faithful to those original manuscripts? Yeah, right. We want accuracy in our translation. We want it to be accurate. But what is accuracy? What about the heart and emotions? You can't see God's face when you're reading the Bible. You will project into your Bible reading what God is thinking and feeling, etc., etc., no matter what author of the book may be. So what we've tried to do is bring the poetic nuance and the flavor of the original text, especially Hebrew, because Hebrew is so poetic, and to bring it right up front to the reader. So as far as the process goes, I spend time in prayer. I have over 1,000 prayer partners that pray for my wife and I during this project to help me. We have others that support and bless this and strengthen our hands as we're doing it. But yeah, it is just an incredible, incredible process. I've wept more than once. I pushed back from my desk and just cried the resurrection story in the book of Matthew where the angel is sitting on top of the stone and the women are there. And in my mind, I'm there. I'm transported to that place and feeling what they felt. The mm. startling impact of seeing an angel sitting on top of a large stone, you know, that had to like shock the daylights into them. <laughs> and so we're trying to recapture that emotion. There's nothing wrong with our emotions. God created them. We don't want to deny them their proper place. We want them to be subject to God's spirit and we don't necessarily go by emotions. But in saying that, we've got to be careful that we don't dilute the emotive part of us that God created. I mean, who after all made our emotions, but God. So to surrender them, bundle them up and to surrender them to God, that's our joy. So yeah, that's a basic sketch of the process of humbling my heart before the Lord getting before him and saying, Lord, 
speak through me. Let me choose the words that will explode inside of the reader. That's really awesome. As you've gone through that, what's been the favorite book that you've really had the opportunity to translate? Yeah, this will shock everybody, but the favorite book is The Song of Songs, and we've titled it Divine Romance. It's not a book of erotica, I'm convinced. I asked my (laughs) wife if I would tell her that her hair was like a flock of goats running down the mountain. How would she feel? And her neck is like the Tower of David and her nose, the Tower of Damascus. It didn't turn her on. So I I gave it up and realized that it is a divine allegory of Jesus' heart of love for us. There's a lot of 15-year-old boys that have used those lines at church camp, I'm convinced. Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's awesome. No, really, really powerful. If you enjoyed what you've heard so far on the Lucas Miles Show, I hope so. But if you are somebody who's out there and you're going, I need more of this, well, I have some good news for you. If you go to the App Store, you can download an app called the Oasis Network for Churches. That's the Oasis Network for Churches. And it is a free podcast and you can listen to my Sunday morning sermons, messages. uh, There's free videos on there, all sorts of goodies. And you can also live stream the Sunday morning services at the church that I speak at, which is Oasis Church in Granger, Indiana, and uh, you can visit that through the App Store. And now back to our guest on The Lucas Miles Show. Talk to us about where you're at in this process. Is the entire Bible translated, the New Testament, where are we at? Yeah, I finished the New Testament this February. I was actually in Bethlehem in a hotel when I finished it. And it so hit me, you know, that where the word became flesh is where I finished the New Testament. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, you know. So we're done with that. It's now out and available in every outlet, virtually every place where Bibles or books would be sold. I'm working now in Isaiah. I'm currently this morning, I did three verses out of Isaiah 17. So I'm up to that chapter. How long does it take to do one verse in this process? Oh, man. Other Sometimes. than Jesus wept. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank God for the short ones, you know. Praise the Lord. That's pretty easy to translate, you know. Right. But some of the verses are so, you know, for example, Paul's sentence length in the book of Ephesians. He has one sentence that goes, what is it, 12 verses long? One sentence, nobody talks that way. You're forced to break it up and to bring punctuation, periods, you know, take a breath and form a paragraph, which Paul did not do. You know, he just rolled out for 12 verses long this amazing litany of the blessings we have in Christ. I'm sure that I had an English teacher in high school that would have marked him down for the sentence length and, you know, oh, definitely. overuse of pauses and commas and things. But I would think that there's certainly some passages in there that are challenging. Maybe not everybody listening knows this, but the Bible is made up of Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic text. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Okay. And of those three, what do you find is the more challenging to be able to translate? Well, for me personally, it's Greek because of sentence length, because of the expressive and precise nature of the Greek language. I look at Greek like bricks, and Paul would write a sentence, and he'd put all these bricks, and we call them words, but he like would build the sentence with all these words, and it becomes very complex. The Greek verbs are very unique. Hebrew has, what, three 
aspects to a verb where Greek has multiple, multiple ways of projecting action. So yeah, Greek has been more challenging to me, but the Lord has helped me. Enjoyed doing the book of Romans, which is Paul's masterpiece. And I felt unusual help from heaven when I was Mm. translating that book. I asked him specifically, Lord, Paul is a genius. He wrote a masterpiece. You got to help me. And Lucas, I felt his presence during that translation of Romans, like perhaps no other book. Wow. Well, one of my favorites. And so I'm excited to dig in and read that that you have. So the Passion Translation, it is available from Broad Street Publishing and it releases on October 31st of 2017. Is that correct? Yeah, but I'm told they got it early, distribution channels, so Australia is already reading it, and they're hitting me up on Facebook, social media, telling me about finally they got it. So they actually beat us to it, but yeah, it's available now. It's always interesting how that happens in publishing and everything. People, I own a film company as well. We do family-friendly films, faith films, and I just had a film released in Singapore. I didn't even know it. I got an email from a guy saying, hey, I loved your movie. I'm like, I didn't even know it was in Uh Singapore, so that's great. But there was this original date, October 31st, there's some meaning behind that. Talk to me about that a little bit. Well, you know, it was 500 years ago, October 31st, when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis of Reformation to the uh, Wittenberg Chapel door there, and it was the bonfire of the the Reformation. But if I could just say to our listeners, the spark of the Reformation was not Martin Luther. The spark of the Reformation was John Wycliffe and a Mm. Bible translation that took the Bible out of Latin into the common ordinary English of the day. And Wycliffe was a groundbreaking champion. He wanted the scriptures read by the people. Can you believe back then the Bible was chained to the pulpit in Latin and only the priests, educated clergy could even read it? No one could read the Bible until Wycliffe brought it into the common mainstream. Jan Hus, a Czechoslovakian priest, he was the torch of the Reformation, and then a hundred years after him, Martin Luther, he sealed it, man, boom, it just broke loose, (laughs) that we come to God through Jesus Christ and we are justified by faith. That's awesome. The message of faith righteousness has been such a transformative teaching in my life, and I grew up in more of a traditional denominational realm, and as I, I almost feel like I had two conversions. You know, I had the moment where I found Jesus to start with, and then the moment where I understood grace, or at least started to understand grace. I don't know if we ever get it fully on this side, but really seeing that through the cross, God sees me as his son. He's literally given me his righteousness as a gift, and he has imparted that to me fully. It's almost too good to be true, this gospel that we have. So talk to me a little bit. I understand that you had a fairly dramatic conversion experience. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. It was 1971. Drug culture was in full speed in America, and it was the time of the Jesus movement. And I tell people I went from LSD to GOD in one day and had a a major encounter, August the 8th, 1971, never forget it. I was in the military, went back to the barracks that night and led uh, maybe a dozen people to Jesus and saw a lot of people who knew the Lord come back to wanting to follow him while they were in the military. And, And that was kind of the beginning. We started a church 30 days later and ended up getting married and Yeah. So those were exciting days of everybody talking about Jesus. Even Jesus was on the cover of time and 
every late night TV show was talking about the Jesus people. And yeah, I think that's going to come back to our nation again. That's awesome. Very powerful. Okay, let's talk about, you know, you mentioned there's 2,000 some odd Bible translations that are out there. For our listeners, what sort of advice, obviously we want them all to go pick up the Passion Translation and add that into their library. But of as course. They, as they approach new translations, and I've come across a few in the past, and without necessarily pinpointing those specifically, what sort of questions do you think as a Christian we should be looking to in order to help confirm whether or not a particular translation is something that we should be using. And I'm sure that this thought went into the process of writing the Passion Translation. So what sort of litmus test are we really looking for as believers? Well, you want a Bible translation that is accurate, that stays very close to the original text. But that original text includes the passion of God for his people, the emotive aspect of that. You know, we're concerned, and rightly so, about adding to the scriptures. We never want to do that. But why don't we hear about taking away from the scriptures that we don't want to take away? And I feel like I've picked up the cuttings on the floor and I've put them back into the text. For example, instead of saying Jesus wept, the way we translated that was tears streamed down Jesus' face. Now, you know, one makes a really short two-word sentence, and the other gives you a description of what really took place. Are they accurate? Yeah, I think both are accurate. So I recommend that everyone reads a new translation every year, that Um. each year you pick up a new Bible to read, whether it's the New American Standard, whether it's the ESV or the New Living Translation. And of course, for this year, why not make it the Passion Translation? And along with the footnotes, I think you'll see some things that you've maybe missed in the text. I'm excited to dig into this. And I, like probably so many people, I'm in the Word a fair amount, sometimes for studying for messages, sometimes for, you know, just my own devotion. And I know that two things happen. One, I think for us as people, when we start seeing it always the same way, it can have a tendency to kind of just sort of blur together and just feel like this homogenous sort of uh, ink on the page. And I know that whenever I've picked up another translation and read things through, whether that was if I was originally used to the NIV and went over to the King James or the New American Standard or, you know, the message or whatnot, every single time I've always been blessed by something new in that. And I think that that's really good advice for whether their pastors or congregants or just people who are crazy wild about Jesus grabbing a new translation and having a chance to go through that and really kind of fall in love with him all over again through his words presented just in a slightly different vernacular that or unique vernacular might be a better way of saying that. So I'm excited to do that myself. Yeah, so true. And here's an example, you know, in the Hebrew text, it says God's nostrils got big. There is not one Bible translation that I know of that translates that literally. So what does that mean? God's nostrils got big. Well, I put that up on Facebook just to uh, get (laughs) our people to kind of respond. It was so funny, so funny how they looked at that. But what it really means is God got angry. Mm. His nostrils got big, and it's a euphemism or a metaphor, I should say, idiomatic concept of becoming angry. So God has anger, 
And we're not trying to take that out of the Bible either. We want the passion of God, whether it's his love or his anger, to be expressive because of familiarity. We can't ignore it. Powerful. Dr. Brian Simmons has been with us today on the Lucas Miles Show. His translation of the Bible is called The Passion Translation. It's available from Broad Street Publishing. Get it. The New Testament is ready to go. Pick it up and fall in love with Jesus all over again. Brian, it's been great having you on the show. Best of luck in this. I hope that you make Jesus famous all over the world through this thing. Thank you, my friend. God bless. If you haven't had a chance to pick up a copy of my book, Good God, the one we want to believe in but are afraid to embrace, I want to encourage you to do so. It's available wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you name it, you can find Good God there. So grab a copy. You can also always get a copy at lucasmiles.org. And after you read it, I'd love to hear from you. If you liked it, hate it, shoot me a message. Let's stay in touch and make sure and keep visiting lucasmiles.org. That's all I have for you for today, but make sure and head over to iTunes and download the Lucas Miles Show and head over to faithwire.com where you can always get the Lucas Miles Show exclusively there and listen to our newest episode. We have all sorts of exciting guests, so check it out, the Lucas Miles Show.